The Spirit of God moves in quiet and mysterious ways. In and through us, like the breath we breathe. He's always been there, using our broken past for his purpose. Only look back to remember when he provided for you. He's here, now, moving in our midst. Live in his present. Be a light and leave behind where he was to follow his lead. He's waiting for you to step out in faith and into the unknown to join him. Trust him with your future and fear not, for he is with you, pulling you from the darkness and carrying you into his light. Rejoice in confidence as you watch him transform the spaces around you and rest in his perfect peace for he is with us. For he is with us. I don't think there is enough capacity in the minds of the most brilliant theological, the, uh, theological, the scholars, uh, smart people that talk better than I do. <laughs> I don't think there's enough time in the longest lifespan to fully exhaust the depth and the beauty and the wonder of those words, for he is with us. And that's what we're going to look at today. Last night after the service, my mom uh, texted me. She worships online with us every week on Saturday night. And she said, you know, Bob, for 45 years, my favorite words from Scripture are not so much God is love, which he is, or God is faithful, but God is with us. And I'm glad that you're with us here in the building. So glad you're with us today. Those of you online in Skagit, glad you're with us. And with Pastor Scott there. Those in Belize and, and uh, worshiping with us online with Pastor Brian from wherever you're coming from. Glad that you are with us today. Um, the, we are so well into the Christmas season, two weeks into, into December. And I just love the Christmas season. I'm not like overboard, but I love the Christmas season for a, just a variety of reasons and I love it at different levels. Like, I love some of the frivolity, the, 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 just the foolish, goofy stuff. I, I love some of the fun of Christmas. I love, not overboard again on this, but the, the touching, sentimental, um, meaningful parts. Um, not overly sappy, but I, but I love that. And I really love the deep, profound meaning of Christmas. Likewise, I love Christmas music. Not like some of you. I don't start in July. But there, and there are some, seriously, there are some Christmas songs I would just prefer to never, ever hear again in the rest of my life. But we won't get into those because I don't want to offend anybody. But I love Christmas songs at different levels too. At the frivolous level. I don't know if you've ever heard the 12 Days of Christmas performed by the group Straight No Chasers. Hilarious. Love that one. Or, or the fun level. My favorite rendition of Joy to the World is by Brian Culberson where he brings in a gospel choir and this funky bass and this jazz. And I think the way that they do Joy to the World is like how it's done in heaven. It's amazing. Just a lot of fun. Very toe-tapping. If you can't tap your toe to that, you don't have a pulse. I'm just saying it's amazing. I love some of, some of the touching stuff. I mean, when Amy Grant sings Tennessee Christmas, I, I want to move to Tennessee. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever even been there, but, but it's just touching. But the profound, the deep, I love that as well. 
282 years ago, there was a man uh, named Charles Wesley. Some of you have heard of John and Charles Wesley, founders of the Methodist Church. Charles Wesley may have been one of the greatest hymn writers of all time when the numbers of hymns and the quantity and the quality of the hymns. But in, in, in 1739, he wrote a Christmas song and the, the depth of the theology in this song. The original version had five verses. You'll never find that song. You'll never hear, hear all five verses recorded. You'll never see them in a, in a hymn book. You have to actually go online. But when you read through these original five verses, there is such a deep, rich theology in that. And over the years, this song, which is very familiar to us, it's been edited, it's been altered a little bit, it's been kind of rearranged. But I want to read for you the second verse and just point out some of the deep theological themes in this very familiar Christmas carol called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And the second verse starts off, Christ by highest heaven adored. Now here's Jesus that is the majesty of Jesus that is worshiped at the highest level, you know, the highest level of heaven, the, the highest level of the cosmos worships this Jesus because of his majesty. Christ, the everlasting Lord. It goes on to talk about the eternal nature of Jesus, that he is everlasting, that he is eternal. Late in time, behold him come. While it seemed like there was this long delay, this, this longing for God in his omnipotence, in his providential timing, knew the perfect time, as it says in Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, when the time had fully come. God was not late, he was not early, he's providential, he's, he, is, he is perfect in his timing, offspring of the virgin's womb. All right, so there, there's the doctrine of, of the virgin birth. But it's the second half of verse two I really want us to hone in on today. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. This doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Not only the doctrine of the incarnation, but the reality of this Emmanuel, God with us. And today I want us to look at that God with us, and we're gonna kind of look at it not real cleanly of first God, Jesus is God, then Jesus is God with, and then Jesus is God with us, but kind of going through that, and, and I'll just say this, that today as we start in looking at Jesus being God, I want to kind of splash around on the surface of the deep end of the theological pool. I'm not smart enough to dive deep into the deep end, but I can sit on an inner tube and splash and make waves on the deep end. So I'm gonna splash around theologically on the deep end. We'll stay on the surface, but I'll give you a little bit of that as we go into this. And then hopefully, as there are all these random splashes, hopefully at the end it all comes together to give us a little pool that we can soak in and apply to our lives. We're in this series, Christmas, Past, Present, Future. So the past, the present, and the future walk into a um, church, and things got tense. Christmas past, some of you will think, figure that one out later this afternoon. <laughs> Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future is hung loosely on that Christmas carol, you know, the, uh, the novella written by Charles Dickens years ago. And last week we started off with Christmas past. Today we're going to look at Christmas present. Any guesses for next week? <laughs> Can't get nothing past you guys. We looked at this Christmas past and the idea of the genealogy of Jesus, and I'll spare that one for you again. And this week I want us to look at Christmas present, which is kind of a play on word, words, because Christmas present 
can be a noun or it can be an adjective. I mean, we love to receive a Christmas present, but we're talking about Christmas present, which the present Christmas is actually kind of a Christmas present. Anyway, we're going to look at that. And as we look at Christmas past, present, and future, these are like delineations in the time-space continuum of which we dwell. And we're talking about Christmas in that. It's perfect because in Revelation chapter 4, John gets to come into the very throne of, of heaven and he sees things that, that no human has ever seen before, things that he doesn't have a compartment for, things that he doesn't have a category for, things that, that, that are hard to even understand. And, and he, as he tries to explain them, he's like, well, it was like this, but kind of not really. And I, there's no human words because I've never seen this. And when he looks at the throne, there's Jesus on the throne. And there are these creatures, these four creatures. And he tries to describe them. He's never seen anything like this at all. And these creatures surround the throne. And they say, night and day, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This past, present, and future. And it, and it paints this picture of that Jesus, this three times holy Jesus, is eternal. But the reality is the past, present, future that was, is, and is to come is really more for our understanding because we can't fully grasp the eternal because everything in our lives, everything in our world, everything has a start and will have a finish. Our, our lives do, everything does. But not with Jesus. He's the uncreated one. He is the beginningless one. It's hard for us to, how can that be? Well, what, what, because we're stuck in this time-space continuum. But he is eternal. And he is without end of days, as it says in Hebrews chapter seven, when it's talking about Jesus and Melchizedek. That he's without beginning, without end of days. He's eternal. And not only is Jesus eternal, see, Jesus didn't just all of a sudden happen on Christmas morning. Jesus has been from eternity past. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God eternal. And not only that, but he is eternally the same. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Again, this past, present, and future. And he's the same. He doesn't change. Now, here's the theological word for this. It's our immutable God. Immutable means he doesn't change. In, in Malachi chapter 3, he says, I am the Lord God who does not change. Or I like more the King James where I am the Lord who changeth not. Uh, some of you remember the, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithful. Thou changest not, thy compassions, they fail not. He is the God that changes not. We all change. As we grow older, we change. We change for the good, we change for the bad. We, not so with God. God doesn't age. God doesn't diminish. He doesn't decrease. The whole idea of entropy and atrophy does not apply to God. He doesn't change. He doesn't get weaker. He's not a lesser God than he was 2,000 years ago. Likewise, and this is hard for us to understand, God doesn't increase. He doesn't learn. He doesn't grow. He doesn't get better. He doesn't get greater. He cannot. Because if there was a capacity for God to grow and increase in his knowledge, that would mean that at one point he was not all-knowing. If it were possible for God to become greater, bigger, stronger, it would mean that at one point he was not all-powerful. He just is. And he doesn't change. Not only is Jesus, this God, eternal and not changing, who was and is and is to come, he just is. He just is in his eternal, unchanging nature. You remember when Moses stands before this oddity of a shrub that appears to be on fire but is not burning up, and, and then it starts talking to him. That's not normal, by the way. 
and, and, and it's the voice of God and his shoes are off and all this. And then God tells him to do this impossible thing, which seems to his mind like, no, this isn't normal either. And so he comes back and he says, well, God, if, if I'm, if I'm going to go do this, I mean, this is ask, who, who shall I say sent me? You remember this out of Exodus chapter 3. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. Not I was or I will be. I am. I, I just am. This is what is referred to as the, the tetragrammaton, these four Hebrew letters, yod Hey vav Hey. It's where we get our word, our name, Yahweh. It was this unspeakable name of God, and it means I am. I just, I just, I am in the present tense. 1,400 years later, Jesus is kind of tipping his hand about who he is with the Pharisees, and they're all about Father Abraham. And Jesus makes this comment, you know, that, that Abraham, he rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he rejoiced when he saw it. And they're pushing back on him. They say, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old, and you say that you know Abraham like you're a contemporary with Abraham. And Jesus says something that almost gets him killed. John chapter 8, verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, if he would have said before Abraham was born, I was, that would be weird. He'd be saying, I'm like over 2,000 years old. But what he says is even more weird. Before Abraham was born, I am, like I am there now, like this time traveler, like I can be here in 2,000 years ago. That's really weird. And what was even worse is when he says, I am, he's not just talking about a tense of present tense, eternal present tense. He's taking the very name of God. Jesus is saying, I am. You remember what God said to Moses? I'm saying that to you. And they wanted to kill him right there. Forget waiting until Good Friday. Forget the cross. They picked up stones to try and kill him right then and there because he claimed to be God. And he is the I am. Jesus is this eternal, unchanging is. This now, here, now, present tense, I am. That he just is. When we talk about Jesus being omnipresent, we usually think of space like he's everywhere at once, which he is. But when you say he's omnipresent, it's not just he, that he's everywhere. He's every time at once. He's omnisimultaneous. I'm making up words now. Uh, he, he is, he is uh, like omnichronological. He is Omni transcends our time-space continuum. He just is. Isness is his business. That's how he lives. He just, he just is. He just is now. So, so when you say, okay, okay, thanks for making waves in the, in the deep end, splashing around, you're having a lot of fun there, but, but what about Christmas? Okay, so Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah the prophet gives us these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him, here's our word, Emmanuel. Now, in your Bible, there's probably a little number or little letter or little asterisk by Emmanuel because then if you go down to the bottom of the page, it, it kind of explains what this word means, this word Emmanuel, this name Emmanuel. And it's three words, and these are the three words that I think summarize, summarize the entire Christmas story, the, the entire Christmas message. God with 
us. Jesus is God. He's the eternal God. He's the unchanging God. He, he's the is God. But he's also with us. And you see this throughout the Christmas story, not just in this prophecy. When the angel comes to Mary, we get, get, get this story started, this young virgin teenager, the angel appears to her. It's referred to as the Annunciation. It's not that the angel enunciated his words really well. The Annunciation was this proclamation, this, this telling the story. And this angel says to her in Luke chapter 1, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Right now, God is with you. And she was troubled, wondering what kind of greeting must this be? You can imagine how even more troubled she was when the angel said, the Lord will be within you. And then there's got a detail of telling Joseph about this whole thing. And we, most of us know that story and how he, you know, he wasn't born yesterday and he's not buying it at all. He, his plan is to just quietly in the relationship send her on her way. And an angel appears to him this time in a dream. This is Matthew chapter one, and this is kind of where we left off last week. Uh, verse 20, a little bit of an overlap. But after he had considered this, the considered of putting uh, this relationship uh, away, putting, uh, um, divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what we talked about last week, Christmas past. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. We just read this in Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And this time there's no asterisk. Says, I, I don't trust that you'll go down to the bottom of the page and read it, so I'm going to tell you right up front, which means God with us. Now, I'm going to pull a kipism right now. If you don't get anything else out of this message, <laughs> get this one thing Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a name, it's a reality. Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a name, it's a reality. Now, when we hear that, we think, this is a good thing. This is part of the good news of great joy that Uriah just talked to us about this morning at the Advent candle. This is a good thing, God with us. That's, that's good, right? Well, yeah, maybe, kind of, I think, maybe not. I'm not, not sure. Think about the times where someone was having God with them in the past. Isaiah, the prophet. You read about him being, as well, in the very throne, the very presence of God. And he's seeing this, and it's amazing, and there are these creatures, and they too are circling the throne, and they're saying, holy, 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 the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And he's checking this all out, he's seeing this. What's his response? Cool, not at all. His response is, woe to me, I am literally, translated, I am disintegrating, I am undone, I am falling apart at the seams, if this is too awesome to be in this presence, I am falling apart. To be God with us was a scary thing. It was a terrifying thing. When God came with the people in Israel, comes down onto the top of Mount Sinai, and there's clouds, and there's thunder, and there's fire, and there's lightning, and there's darkness, and the whole ground trembles, and God says, you tell people not to come up on the mountain. Don't even touch the mountain. They're like, no problem here. This is a terrifying thing. That whole mountain's shaking. There's smoke, and there's fire. And it's, Moses, you go. 
How about in the Holy of Holies? You didn't just waltz in. That's where God's presence was. You don't just waltz into the Holy of Holies. You don't even touch the Ark of the Covenant. You do that, you're gonna die. Why is it that it was so terrible? Why is it that it was so horrible to be in the presence of God? Is it because he's an evil God? Because he's an angry God? Because he's an introvert and doesn't want to be bothered? No, it's because of his glory. The, the Bible talks about this, this Shekinah glory, this presence of where he is, that it's so burning white intense that to be in the very presence of his glory is overwhelming. So, so when the angel appears to the shepherds and it says, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, the old King James says, and they were sore afraid. Yeah, I guess so. There's an instance where Moses is up on the mountain. God allows him to come up. Exodus chapter 33, you can read this. And Moses says, God, we, we can't go forward unless you go with us. God says, I will. And then Moses gets really bold. He says, um, hey God, show me your glory. And God says, I don't think that would be a good idea. This is my paraphrase. I don't think that'd be a good idea for you, Moses. He says, now, here's what I'll do. I'll show you my goodness. I'll even tell you my name. Because I have mercy on who I have mercy and I have compassion on who I have compassion. And then he says this in verse 20 of Exodus 33, but he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. So he's saying, okay, so God says, I could show you, but then I'd have to kill you. It's like a secret. We don't want anyone to know. No, no, that's not it at all. It's when you have God with, there's this awful glory, this terrifying glory, this lethal glory of God. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Some of you put up Christmas lights inside. Some of you put them up outside. I don't want to get into a debate um, on what is best, but you can put up LED lights or incandescent lights. I happen to be, no debate necessary, I happen to be an incandescent light guy on the outside of my house. And there's reasons for that. And you can go into all the arguments, well, LEDs are light-emitting diodes. They don't draw as much power. They last 50 times as long. I understand all of that. I'm just an incandescent guy. And I have incandescent C9 lights that line my house. And, I, and I, it's one of the very few things that I'm extremely anal about. They must be very straight. So those of you who know about incandescent lights, and, and yes, it's not a light-emitting diode. There's a filament that heats up and then it lights up. And yes, they do draw more power, and yes, they don't last as long. But if you get a, a string of 25 of these incandescent C9 lights, they will say on the box or on the instructions somewhere, you cannot have more than two, it depends on where they were made, two or three of these lines contiguous. They can't just kind of go on and on. With LEDs, you can go 50, go for a mile, not a problem, because they don't draw that much power. In, a, in an incandescent light, it draws more power, so you can't have these together. And because the manufacturers know that you will not follow instructions, they have built in a way to make sure. And so in the, in the incandescent C9 lights, in the, in the plug-in, there's this little trap door. And you slide that little trap door back and there's a little compartment there. And inside that little compartment is one of these. It's a five amp fuse and it goes right in there. And then you slide the door back and you plug it in. And to save you from yourself, if you plug more than two or three of these lights together and so much power is going through it, it pfft, 
zaps the five amp fuse. And you say, what's the problem? You're the problem. <laughs> now, with the five amp fuse, let me uh, mix my illustrations here. We live in Washington. Most of us, those of you online, do not. We'd love to have you visit. We have the Columbia River. On the Columbia River, on the main stem of the Columbia River, there are 18 dams. Many of them, most of them, have a hydroelectric power plant that, that create thousands upon thousands of megawatts of power that light up millions and millions of homes. Now, if a five-amp fuse said to all of the hydroelectric plants on the Columbia River, I want to experience all of the power. Say, it's not such a good idea for you. Because you can't handle that power. So Moses says to God, show me your glory. And God says, Mo, you're a five amp fuse. You can't handle my glory. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. To, to be able to be in the very presence of God and to experience his glory, full glory, it'd be like saying, I want to walk on the sun. You just can't. Moses couldn't. So our God, our eternal, unchanging, is-ness God, who lives in unapproachable light, in glory that is, that is lethal, chooses to make himself a five-amp fuse, to become one of us so that he can be with us. A hymn that is believed it was a hymn that was sung in the early church is found in Philippians chapter two. And it talks about this very thing, that Jesus, while being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That our God does that so that he could be with us. Anne Voskamp, in her, uh, her Advent devotional uh, book, wrote these words. The creator who cups the ocean depths in the hollow of his hand folds himself into amniotic fluid and grows bones that ache like yours. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. And that doesn't make sense. If something's veiled, how could you see it? If something's veiled, it's shrouded. If something's veiled, it's hidden. If something's veiled, there's a barrier. But when it comes to God... If it's not veiled in flesh, there would be no way that we could see it. Mild, verse three, mild he lays his glory by. Tim Keller said, God, Jesus did not empty himself of his deity, but he did empty himself of his glory so that he could be with us. He's still fully God. Colossians chapter two says, all, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form in Christ. In Hebrews chapter one, it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the radiance of the glory of God, an exact representation of his being. He is God, fully God. He was with God and he was God. But he lays his glory by 
And when you begin to understand that, you begin to see now, now, in Jesus, God with us is not this awful glory, this is an awful glory. To worship him, to see the goodness of God, to see what we can handle, the filtered glory of God, and to be filled with wonder and surrender and submission. In John chapter one, it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Or 2 Corinthians chapter four, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So here's this eternal, unchanging, is God who lives in unapproachable light with this lethal glory who veils himself so that he can be with us, so that we can handle it, so that we can see it, so that we can experience that. You know, this is what I love about the message of Jesus. There are many people, maybe some of you, who would find yourselves, or maybe not use this word, but you're a deist. And many scientists would fall into this category. That they look around at the world, the universe, the, the, the precision with which it was created, and, and, and there's no way it could have just come from nothing. There's out of nothing. There's something, someone, some power, some, some prime mover. There, there must be something out there, some being. But a deist would say, yes, there is. There's this power, there's this God, there's this whatever you want to call it, there's this creator who created things, started things spinning, and maybe even sustains them, but is really hands-off, doesn't want to be involved, doesn't want to be bothered. But Emmanuel says that the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and shall I add the redeemer of all things, and the object of all things, says I want to be involved. I do care. I will engage. I am Emmanuel. One more, and then we'll start to try to maybe get out of the splashing zone. When Jesus comes, he comes as a baby, and then he grows up, and, and look what it says in Mark chapter three. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, with him. So reason he came, God with you, you with God. Now we could stop right there, and some of you wish we would. We could stop right there and just say, that is profound, that is, that is amazing. We, we could, let's just go into worship our great God, our eternal God, our unchanging God, our isness God, our unapproachable light God, our glory God. Let's just let's stop and worship. And we could. But I don't want us to stop there. Because this whole concept of, of Emmanuel, it's more than just a deep, profound theology. It is a literal personal reality. It's Christmas present. It's how we can dwell right here and right now. Not someday in heaven or not way back when Jesus was first born, today, right here, right now. That's why the isness of God is so important and so perfect. You know, long before the movie Frozen came out, and, and that was actually a few years back, long before Frozen came out, there was a set of books written by C.S. Lewis called The Chronicles of Narnia. Many of you have read those, read them to your children. A powerful little, little uh, stories there. And in this, you'll remember C.S. Lewis, who's just brilliant, so creative. 
He says that the, the white witch came and put a curse on the land of Narnia. And this is such a classic line. So that it would always be winter and never be Christmas. So bleak, so cold, so hard, so awful. Always winter and never Christmas. Sounds like North Dakota. <laughs> now, <laughs> sorry. If, if, for those of you in North Dakota, sounds like South Dakota. Always winter, but never Christmas. If, however, if, however, Christmas present is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, and if this Emmanuel is the eternal is now, then in our Christmas present reality, it is always Christmas. That every day, not December 25th alone, every day is Christmas present. Because Jesus dwells with us every single day. That's the reality that we get to live in. That's the reality that we need to grasp and own and let it grasp and own us to live in that reality. Isaiah, another prophecy, very familiar. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The child is born, he's fully human. The son is given, he's fully divine, and he's given as a gift, he is the Christmas present. And this is it. He will be called, but since he's come, he is called. Wonderful counselor. That the reality is that every single day, Jesus is with us, and he's the wonderful counselor who is human like we are and understands what we go through, who's been tempted in every way we are tempted, so he understands that, who understands betrayal and loss and pain and suffering and difficulty and disappointment. He understands all of that, and he says, and I am with you in the midst of yours to bring you comfort, to walk alongside Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a title, a name. It's a reality that we live in. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Now we would think, well, if he's the mighty God, then, then he ought to just fix everything and, and there should never be any problems. Maybe we need a mighty God most because we do have problems, because we live in a fallen world, because there is brokenness, because there is sin, because there is pain. We need a mighty God. There's a man in our church uh, who volunteers in our tech team. And he and his wife come to church here. Um, about a month ago, uh, he had put a post on the Creative Arts uh, Facebook page talking about the fact that it looked like his wife's cancer had come back and they were gonna have to do a surgery. And, and then they took her to Seattle and have done multiple surgeries. And as he was giving these updates, on one of the early updates, of, there is a lot of uncertainty he closed his, his little post with these words. He says, I don't know what is ahead, but we don't walk alone. I, I don't know, this isn't what we would choose, it's not what we want, it, it's not what we'd hope for, but we don't walk alone. And last night, he and his wife, who are in a hospital in Seattle, uh, were watching online, was able to, uh, afterwards, um, in the in the after show on the chat, be able to just tell them how much we're praying, that you, you don't walk alone. See, for them, Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a name. 
It's a reality they live in today. The everlasting Father, and I know for some of you the whole idea of God being a father is, is it's got because of the baggage or because of the dad that you didn't have or he wasn't able to be who you needed, and I, I get all that. I'm so grateful for the dad that I had. It was not perfect. This last week, December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, is also the anniversary of my dad's death. 14 years ago, I was sitting in the woods coffee on a Friday morning with a guy named Jarrett Merrill, and my phone lit up, and it was my brother. He said, I just want you to know, dad just died. I miss my dad. I think about him all the time. There's so many things I wish I could just talk with him about. I wish I could ask him questions. I wish I could get his perspective. I love my dad. But he's not able to be an everlasting father. However, I have an everlasting father that walks with me every day, does life with me. Emmanuel, God with us, it's not just his name. It's a reality. The Prince of Peace, the one that brings us peace in the midst of our chaos. About two weeks ago, I was at Fred Meyer and ran into a lady who's been a part of our church for years. I was just catching up, hadn't seen her in a long time, asking about her and her husband. They've been married for over 60 years. And she was telling me how her husband is dealing with Alzheimer's, how he gets angry, and it's not the husband that she's known for 60 years, and how he forgets things, and how they had to move out of the home that they've lived in for decades, and they're in this retirement slash assisted living facility, and they'll never move back to their home. Her husband will never be as he was. It will never get any better in their marriage and in his being. And I said, oh, okay, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. She was telling me this, and then she said, you know, Bob, God has been so good to me. He has walked with me every step along the way. And he has helped me out. I don't know how people could do it without God. You know what, for Kay? Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a name. It's a reality. It's a reality that she lives in every single day. This great God is with us. So let me circle back to where I started. I love Christmas. I love Christmas songs on all kinds of levels. But the frivolous 12 days of Christmas, you know, and the, the fun joy to the world musical rendition, and the heartwarming Tennessee Christmas pales in comparison to something that helps us walk through the gritty realities of life. So 282 years ago, Charles Wesley writes, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. 52 years later, his older brother, John Wesley, powerful evangelist, founder of the Methodist Church, lie dying, and in his last breath, the seven words recorded, the final words of John Wesley, best of all, 
God is with us. He died with those words on his lips because he could live with those as his reality. And as Tim Keller says, we should live with those words on our heart. It's not just a title. It's a reality. It's Christmas present today. So Matthew says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not a name, a reality. God with us. Christmas present. God, eternal, unchanging, always is, unapproachable light, lethal glory, with comes one of us with us to each day be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. And we live in that reality. So here's my challenge to you this week is to live in the Christmas present, to know that every day, every day is Christmas. Every day Emmanuel, God is with you. And to live with that reality and, and to understand how much he gave up to be with us and maybe intentionally be willing to do some things to be with him, to be in his word, to pray, to worship, to listen, to celebrate, to repent, to confess, to lament to be open, to be used. And a practical way you can do this is to join us Wednesday night as we celebrate, as we remember, as we take communion at refuge. Live in Christmas present. Emmanuel, God with us. If you get nothing else out of the sermon, that's not just a name, that's reality.